told you on Thursday night we had the last how-to um, on Thursday night, and we didn't get to finish the message from Thursday evening. And uh, so we're going to conclude that tonight, since we're not going back into the how-to series after the couples retreat next week. And uh, the title of the message for Thursday evening was How to Maintain a Proper Relationships in the Church, How to Maintain Proper Relationships in the Church. And we kind of uh, took a little bit longer on the, the first point uh, than maybe I had planned or thought, but uh, was necessary things regarding the relationships that we have in the church. And there's, there is a family relationship that's given to us very clearly in the Word of God. And uh, we're to treat each other like brothers and sisters, like fathers and mothers, and those relationships are to be valued and appreciated, and we kind of talked really in a practical way how that plays out in our church family, and uh, really dealt with that. But then we get down uh, to the second part here. The first was the family relationship that's present, and then secondly, I want you to see that there is a faithful responsibility that we have, that we've got a responsibility that we are to be faithful to do and it's amazing that uh, he takes, you know, the, the next, what is it, I think, 14 verses and talks about our responsibility as a church to care for widows. It is a responsibility to care for widows. This is something that was very important, something that's very real. The first century uh, church there, uh, we see Christ often pausing, often stopping and taking time to uh, care for their widows, and his instruction was very clear. Uh, he had a heart and a concern for them. In that day and age, there was no time, uh, I'm sorry, there was no, uh, there was no WIC program for, for mothers. There was nothing that was going to provide, uh, you know, bread and milk and cheese and, and eggs and things for, for mothers with, with children. There was no welfare program that was established that was going to uh, meet the needs of, of widows. And really, there was no work available, no, no way for them to go out and get a job or, or to provide for their own. You could read the story of Ruth and, and really get kind of a good picture of the situation and the plight that was the, that for uh, those widow women that are, that are mentioned there in the book of Ruth and how they had to go out and just try and glean off the edge of the field, hoping that they could get enough food to sustain themselves because there really wasn't any means for them to be cared for or taken care of without their husband or without their father. Once those two characters uh, were removed from their lives, whether through death or separation or whatever might have happened, that there was uh, a, the end result was that they many times were destitute. And so the church was called to care for them. Uh, in Psalm 68, verse number 5, he says, A father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. The word judge there literally means advocate. Uh, it's an advocate. He is an advocate for the widows. It's something that's on the heart and mind that God wants us to take care of the widow, widows. We know that in the book of Acts in the first church that the call of deacons into the place of service for the church, one large portion of that, the waiting of tables and the caring for widows. 
to, to help meet that need that the church uh, widows were taking care of. And so as a church, we need to understand our biblical admonition, our responsibility that we are to faithfully uh, minister to, to widows. And so we want to see in the scriptures what that responsibility is. First of all, I want you to realize that he gives us clearly here there's some qualifications for the widow's needs to be met by the church. It's very clearly stated for us here. It was not put on the church to care for every widow in the community. You know, there was some qualifications, and it's wise for a church to have some, uh, you might call standard operating procedures, you might call them some policies, some, some guidelines in place, not that they can't ever be adjusted or adapted because of certain needs, but just some guidelines on how the church will handle situations. We get calls here at the church uh, you know, several times a month, sometimes several times a week uh, for people, especially like the month of December. A lot of calls for help, for aid. Do you provide Christmas for children? Uh, do you provide, you know, uh, pay for fuel oil for, for winter? Do you pay people's rent? Do you, you know, lots and lots of needs are out there. I mean, the needs are endless. Even with all of the welfare programs that are available today, they're still calling around and, and looking for churches to provide and meet those needs. And so there were some qualifications that he gave us here that are very clear, and we ought to have this in, in our heart and mind. First of all, the need had to be real. Look for in verse number, um, I have three and four here. Uh, we covered uh, one and two on Thursday night. So in verse number three and four, he says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews... Let them first to show piety at home and to require their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. So he says, hey, uh, you got parents, you got family, you got some nephews, you got some brothers and sisters, you got some extended relatives. Okay, they should be caring for you. That is the responsibility of the family. If they have some surviving family members that are out there that are available, the family should feel the weight of that responsibility and it should go on the family to care for them. We are, of course, under the same guide today. He says in verse number eight there, he says, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the face and is worse than an infidel. Now, we often use that verse and look at it and talk about it from the aspect of a father and a, and a dad, that he ought to be providing for his own. And if he doesn't care for his own and provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But do you understand in the context of this passage, what they're talking about is the family taking care of the widows. They're saying, if you don't take care of your own, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel. He's saying that there is a responsibility there for you to care for your own. They were to go to their family first. We see then, with regards to this, secondly, that the widow was to be righteous. This is very important. You don't, you don't just give away money. You don't just say, oh, there's a need here, so we're just going to give money. You know, sometimes, well, let's read the verses here. He says in verse number 5, 6, and 7, he says, now show that a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplication. 
and prayers night and day. He says here, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplication and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Look down at verse number 10. Again, talking about her. Verse number 10 says, well reported of for good works. If she hath brought up children... If she hath lodged strangers, if she's washed the saints' feet, if she hath relieved the afflicted, if she hath diligently followed every good work. So we see three, three things about her, three requirements with regards to her righteousness if the church is going to feel the weight of responsibility to care for her. We see her salvation, her supplication, and her service. They're all three listed here. We see her salvation. She trusteth in God. We see her supplication that she continued in supplication and prayers night and day. And we see her service in verse 10, well reported of for the good works that she's been doing. So what I'm saying is the responsibility is not given to the church to just give money to anybody and everybody. The weight and responsibility of the church to care for widows is not even those that might happen to attend the church if they've been here on a Sunday. He says, hey, uh, you need to realize that it's, it's pretty important, first of all, that the need be real, that there's not any family or somebody else that could do it. And then she needs to be righteous. And what I was going to say is there are some parents that would do wise to follow this with regards to what they're giving their children. And you've got grown children that are out in the world and they're taking the, the funds and the monies that you're giving towards them and, and using it on all kinds of, uh, you know, just a, a wicked lifestyle. You don't want to promote that. You don't want to fund that. You don't want to, you're, you're the money that God has blessed you with, you don't want to give towards trying to, to, to continue to feed that. You've got to think about that. And sometimes even when we reach the point where... You're going to be passing off your scene, off the scene. And I talked to a pastor this week. He called me. He says, hey, um, I've just had a huge responsibility put on me. He said, a guy called me. He has a, an estate worth $80 million. He has, his, his estate earns $5 million a year. He's just been diagnosed with cancer and he's going to die in a few months. He called me and asked me to talk to his children without them knowing and call him back and ask and, and tell him if his children are worthy of receiving that inheritance or if he should do something else with it. You see, most people don't have enough wisdom for that. They just take that $80 million and give it to somebody and going to ruin that child or take all those funds that this, this, the, the guy that is worth this much money, he gives a substantial amount. I'm going to go into all the numbers, but he gives towards missions in a huge way. Funds many missions work. Just built an entire school in Haiti. He just took care of the whole cost. He just built it. 
He's God's blessed him, and he wants to see that the funds that he has continues to do and accomplish the work of God. He doesn't want to take it and give it to somebody that's not going to continue to see God's work move forward. But we ought to be thinking about that, even for ourselves, whatever we have, whatever little bit might be there. Think about how it's going to be used and say, we want to honor God with it. So there's a requirement that she be righteous. You know, we see her service there, this widow washed the feet of the saints, housed strangers, relieved the afflicted. Pretty much any good work that was available, she's like, count me in. So there's an idea of her participating and serving and, and working in the ministry. And as a church, then we say, man, we need to care for her. She, 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 she might not have the means or capacity. She's got some needs or whatever it might be. We've got we've to care for her. Uh, thirdly, we see very clearly that the widow was to be of retirement age. And it's given here very clearly. It says here in verse number nine, he says, let not a widow be taken under the number uh, under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. So there's kind of a twofold statement here, but basically she's supposed to be 60 years old or older. And the idea is that she's again, not in a place where she can care for herself. If she's a young girl, he goes into it here in a minute, and he says, hey, she's a young girl. She could get remarried. Uh, she's still got a lot of life in front of her. She has some options. What, the responsibility of the church is for those who really don't have the options, who really don't have any other means. And he says, hey, if she's over 60 years old, you ought to take care of her. And he says, having been the wife of one man. Now, this is, I don't believe, saying that uh, she can't have been widowed twice. I mean, that, is, that can happen, especially uh, through history. Ladies have outlived men. Uh, you know, usually that's the case. They, whether they take better care of themselves or God just blessed them with a long life or whatever it is, they usually outlive the men. And uh, that happens a lot. And so, you know, that could happen where, you know, she was widowed twice. So I don't think it's saying here that you only take care of them if they've only been widowed once. I think the idea is that she was faithful to her husband to the husband she had, that she was with him and loved him. And it's, it's commonly reported that she had that kind of relationship and was faithful to him. You know, uh, then we see here that this widow was to have good references. In verse number 10, again, the idea says that she's well reported of for good work. There's some people that can attest to her accomplishments and to her faithfulness, the good spirit that she had, the love she had for her mate, the, the, the faithfulness to God and, and her right heart and all those things, that, that she have some good references. I wonder if for you and I, would what would our reference say about us? I wonder if somebody had $80 million and they said, boy, I would like to leave this to Jake. Pastor Caleb... <laughs> What do you think? You think Jake's worthy of that? You think, or I would like to leave this to Jacob. Jacob, probably okay, his wife, I don't know. <laughs> you know, what, what, what would, I'm just saying, what would, you know, here he's saying, hey, that she's well reported of, that she, people have good things to say about her. I wonder what would people have to say about you and I? And you know what? It's not too late. 
we're not dead, so regardless of what people might have said yesterday, we can, we can change that and, and, and live a different way or act a different way and, and make that change in our life so that we would be well reported of. Her good works are reported of. Her children speak highly of her. Strangers speak highly of her. Um, and there was a few, there's a list here of some widows that weren't supposed to be supported. We mentioned one already in verse number 11. He says, but the younger widows refuse. Well, that's not very caring, <laughs> compassionate. But he tells you clearly that young widows refuse for when they had begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. He's saying, hey, they've got an option. They can still get married again. They've got some time that, that's still available to them. Um, Paul did not want one taken in grief to accidentally or inadvertently maybe commit to a life of solitude and the church to enable that when really God's plan for them would be to get married again. But for them, obviously, grief is real. Loss is real. The pain, it's sometimes almost unbearable and you think man how can I even go on and so Paul's saying listen don't just come on he's got a young lady and she's able and she's still and she can but don't uh, don't just support her if she has the option to grow and continue and to get married she might choose just because you're doing that to not to not get married when that would be God's plan he says literally this would be a preferable solution for everybody uh, he says um, in verse number 12, let's just kind of read these next few verses and listen to his admonitions here. He says, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking the things which they ought not. I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bearing children, guiding the house, giving none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not them be charged that it might re- they might relieve them that are widows indeed." He says, he gives a list here of reasons why you wouldn't want to just support a younger person. He says, man, there's a, there's a real possibility that they're going to end up doing these things. And you think about it, what our society has done through welfare programs that are providing for people that don't need it. And you think about this list here that they learn to be idle. Wandering from house to house. And not only idle, he says, but tattlers. Also, busybodies, speaking things which they ought not, get given to an occasion to the adversary. He says, man, this is what you're doing. You're opening it up for the adversary to come in to allow them to be busybodies because they're not about the work that they should be doing. Caring for their home, loving their family, caring for the kids, preparing the meals, being uh, in, in, involved in so much activity just to live that you don't have time to be a busybody. But when your needs are met somewhere else, you can be a busybody. That's what Paul says. He's pretty straightforward about it. The call in verse 14, 15 there is for a woman to care for the home. Now that's not 
very popular today. It's not a very uh, liked admonition or truth from the scriptures. But Paul clearly states that there's a benefit to that. And when they're not involved in that, you're giving occasion to the adversary. You're opening yourself up. No matter how smart we think we are today, we can't improve upon the scriptures. We could avoid a lot of problems if we would follow the scriptures. Paul summarizes in verse number 16, he says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let none the church be charged, that it may be relieved them that are widows indeed. So he kind of recaps, and he says, Hey, the first line of fence is the family. The family needs to pick it up. That, this needs to be. And then three times in this passage, Paul underscores the responsibility of the family to take care of the elderly. That's what he's supposed to do. Verse 8 makes it very clear. Now, let me, let me say this just before we move on to the last point, And that is that um, there are situations that you're going to face as a family. And I'm going to take this one step beyond just a widowed situation. Um, but there are situations that you're going to face sometimes caring for somebody you love. And those things are going to arise and you're not going to be in a place to be able to care for them effectively. And if you're not careful, you'll allow false guilt to keep you from doing what is really best for the individual. It's not necessarily what's best for you. And sometimes our conscience and our heart and man, we, we, we've always said we would never put dad in a home and dad's going to be with me. And, and listen, you know I believe that we ought to care for our parents. And that's what we ought to do. If at all possible, that's what we ought My grandma lived with us for three and a half years. I mean, that's the, the testimony I grew up with and I think we ought to care for our, that's, that's biblical. There's situations that arise medically. Sometimes people dealing with dementia the, the, you know, the, the things happen. Somebody on dementia can be uncontrollable and they get out of the house and they're out wandering around the community. And, and you get to a place where you're not really doing what's best for them so that you can feel better about how you're caring for them. And I'm just saying you got to, don't put that false guilt on you. Um, do what is ultimately best for them. And uh, do it, you know, with, with peace and don't stress about that. I know sometimes, especially in our, you know, I mean, I know we're going to care for our family. And we get there and we, we, we find out that, you know, medically there's things that have to be administered every single day at so many hours, different times or whatever. And it's impossible schedule for you to keep. You need a full-time nurse. The cost for that you can't handle. There's things that come up and you got to, what I'm saying, you got to adapt. And so go ahead and adapt and understand it'll be okay. Um, I didn't want somebody to take these thoughts that I gave here tonight about, listen, it's the family's responsibility to care for the widow. That, that is true. Uh, but there's extenuating circumstances beyond that medically and dealing with people with Alzheimer's or dementia or things that, that come up that physically, you know, you're not in a place to do that. And it might be the best thing for them that they get the kind of care they need. And uh, so just wanted to make that clear before we moved on here. Then I want you to see, lastly, that we have the followers' respect 
is described for us in verses 17 through 25. Um, He says, Let elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, them that sin rebuketh before all, that others also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine uh, oft infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, but going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So there's a lot of stuff in here. First of all, we see the necessity for respect. The qualification here given for respect, there's some qualifications for the pastor. Amen? There's some qualifications for the man of God. And he kind of describes some things here. And he says, hey, yes, the, the, the man of God is worthy of respect. But there is some necessary things that he needs to be displaying. There is some qualifications given to us in, back in chapter number three uh, that we see. And we're not going to take time to turn there. But um, churches all over America today are looking for a pastor that's qualified. Pastor Derek knows he's been he's been had his name out there and talking to and looking. There's many many churches that are looking for a pastor that's qualified. And what I'm saying, if if you've got a pastor, and this is, I told Pastor Derek when I'm talking about this, I'm going to gloss over most of this. <laughs> but if you've got a pastor that that is fit and qualified, you ought to praise the Lord, uh, because there are so many churches that don't have that. And there's many, many churches that are just looking for somebody that's qualified, that's going to do the job, that meets the requirements that are found in the Scripture for somebody that's preaching the gospel to be able to lead the church. And when he's talking about his qualifications, he talks here about his management skills. He says that he ruleth well. Ruleth is to preside over, it's to maintain. In Acts chapter 20, verse number 28, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all of the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So, beloved, what I'm saying, there's a, a certain aspect of management that takes place. And can I tell you that there's a lot of it? <laughs> there's a lot of it from the, from the management side, of uh, administration side of the church. And, you know, uh, if, if things you know, are, are running smoothly, praise God. <laughs> Just praise God. Uh, we can be thankful that things are running smoothly and that, uh, you know, it, it's just, I, I'm not the best at it and certainly an area that, that I could improve. But uh, what I want to say is that it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just magically happen. There's a lot of people involved in making it happen. And many people giving of their time and helping to organize and, and keeping things on track. And so they said, hey, if he's ruling well, praise God. Praise God for it. You know, he might not do everything the way you would. He might not do everything the best way possible. Uh, But is he leading in the right direction? Is he leading in the right direction? 
there are for us these, these things. He says his management skills, but then he also talks about his ministry. His ministry, he says that he labor in the word. He's faithful to preach the word, to preach sound doctrine. You know, praise the Lord if he preaches the word. If he's preaching sound doctrine. You know, in my studying for this, this particular passage of scripture, I read one guy that took that verse. What was the, uh, the verse there on uh, 23? Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And uh, he, he, he went off on a tangent and talked about how that, uh, you know, Paul's concern for Timothy is that he would take the rule or law of moderation to an extreme and would stop drinking altogether. And he would begin to adhere to the total abstinence crowd. So he went, he went in, into this whole thing to use that verse to teach how, you know, social drinking and controlled drinking, a little wine for their stomach sake, a little bit of drinking here and there is acceptable and okay. And you got, he, and, and that Paul was admonishing Timothy here, listen, don't, don't buy into that. Beloved, there's too much scripture that's very clear about the destructiveness of alcohol and the damage that it does and the judgment that you're under if you give it to your neighbor. There's too many things in the scripture to to try and uh, sell anybody that has a half a brain and has read the scriptures that it's okay to do it in moderation. That's people that are just trying to take a middle of the road. And what I'm saying is Paul says here, hey, if you've got somebody that's going to preach the truth, praise God for it. Praise God for it. His ministry, is he faithful to labor in the word and in prayer and in doctrine? And then he also says, take the measure of the man. You know, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 7, he says, remember them which rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. You know, it is important how the pastor lives. It is important how leadership in the church lives, how they're acting. What is it, not just that they're saying, but how are they living? What is it are they doing? Does their walk match their talk? Are they living, are they living the life? What's the measure of the man? Consider what he's like. Consider what his family's like. Pastor Derek has just gone through this in, in extensive detail with the churches that he's talked to where they just examined his life. And then he says here the, that there's a need for uh, reimbursement or remuneration, some type of pay. He says, hey, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they which labor in the word and in doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, that laborer is worthy of his reward. And I know oftentimes there's great concern or problems over finances in a church. People get bent out of shape very quick when we discuss and look at finances. Um, but uh, we need to have the right spirit and the right heart. And I want you to know from my perspective, this church goes above and beyond for me, for our family we are taken care of in uh, beyond. You guys are so good to us. 
And uh, we're humbled by your generosity. And I want you to know that I'm not in any way uh, admonishing you. I'm, I'm exhorting and praising God and, and just I'm praising you tonight for the way that you have followed this biblical admonition. And we want to keep that kind of a spirit. And not just for the head pastor, but for the staff and those that serve and work in the church. We want to be sure we're taking care of them. And uh, now that Pastor Derek's doing, leaving, we're going to do that. <laughs> Amen. Uh, no, we, we want to be sure and take care of those that are serving and have the right spirit about it and, and make sure that that is our mindset. Um, we need to have uh, harmony in the church over these things. Uh, there's a couple of goals that he gives us, uh, you know, it, it, you know, trying to like get an exact, like we, we narrow down onto certain points and certain things and say, well, this is, we, we ought to take care of his insurance or we ought to uh, do that or we ought to be providing for retirement or maybe we need to take care of some medical experience, you know, maybe we need to do his car or, you know, there's a lot of maybe little things that you could look at and say, let's do this or do that. But really, let me just give you a couple of uh, principles that he gives us here that should be kind of our guiding mindset with it. And first of all, there's that the principle of double honor. And I believe that really just boils down to is do what you can. Do what you can. He, he's saying if you've got a man of God that's doing the work and doing it right and laboring hard, then he's worthy of it. So do what you can. And sometimes the, the can is, is not there. But our want to should still be there. You know, there was a time some years ago, we were in the middle of the court case. Things were tight. We, we, were, we were pinching pennies. Met with all the men and said, what do we need to do? We've got we to either decrease our outflow or increase our income. One or the other, it's getting pretty tight. And the staff all said, everyone said, you know what? We'll, we'll take a pay cut. We'll sacrifice. From their mindset, it was, let's do what we have to as a church. But then from the church's mindset, they're saying, no, we don't want the staff to take a pay cut. We need, we need to find another way to, to make up this, this difference. You know, having, that's what I'm saying. Having that kind of a spirit is the kind of spirit that we want to have. And, and, it, and it goes both ways. And when we have that right spirit before the Lord, then there's not a problem. It's not a problem. So, you know, just that they're worthy of double honor. So do what, do what you can. And then there's that principle of muzzling the ox. Um, the idea of, you know, if, if the ox had to go out and, and work eight hours a day, he can't be as effective in the ministry as he could. So he's saying, you know, try to make it so he doesn't have to do that. And uh, my brother Daniel, been pastoring now there in Kentucky for a number of years, and he's still working full time. That's hard. Now, he started the church from scratch, and they're, they're laboring, and they're working, and, and trying to get it to the place where, you know, he's talking to me. He says, my goal this year is to be able to get to three days a week, if I can just work three days a week. And I told him, I said, I don't know how you do it. I said, I am, you're a better man than me. Because I can't hardly keep up with the church, and that's all that I'm doing. I feel like I'm always leaving things undone and not accomplishing what I need to do, and there's this, this fire to put out, and there's this that needs done, and that needs done. I said I can't imagine taking 40, 50 hours a week and working a job, too, and still trying to run the church. And so that's what he's talking about here about muzzling the ox. He says, make it so the, ox is, so the, the needs are met so that he can do the work of the ministry. And I praise God that you guys have done that for me in an exemplary way. Uh, and certainly just hats off to, to the church here and how they have cared for me over these years. 
and uh, for the staff as well. So we praise, praise the Lord for that. Um, so then there's also the thought here given where he says the time may come that there's a need for some rebuke. In verses 19, 20, 21, he describes and talks about this, uh, you know, if an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses, if the time comes that the man of God, for, for some reason, has erred, maybe teaching false doctrine, participating in or doing something that is, that is not correct, um, can I say that Matthew 18 should be followed and how that's dealt with? Matthew 18 should be followed. And if you're not, we're not going to take time to teach on Matthew 18 tonight, but you know it's, uh, you go to him personally. And if he will not hear thee, you go to him with a couple of brothers. And if he will not hear thee, you bring him before the church. That's the biblical steps for dealing with a brother. And here he says the time may come that you're going to have to deal with an elder. And that's, those, those are sad things. Those are hard things. We know those are hard things. Sometimes it has to be done, but we need to follow biblical process of doing it. Only in and through the spirit and the power of God can that be done without bringing so much pain and hurt. But I want you to see the Bible does tell us here to do it. A church should never put up with a man of God that's not living right. You shouldn't do it. I'm telling you right now, church, if you look up at Pastor Caleb and Pastor Caleb is living in sin or not doing right, you need to kick me out. For the cause of Christ and for the sake of the church, don't let me stay behind this pulpit because you love me. Let your love do what's right. It's a pastor, we love you, but you can't, you can't keep serving like this. I want you to do that, okay? Need somebody in the pulpit that realizes the weight and the responsibility of it. We can't let... There's a lot of churches today that they have men in the pulpit that aren't qualified... And the people are putting up with it because they like him. But it's not right. It's not right. Then he says there's some need for restraint. In verses 22 and 23 and 25, he talks about lay hands suddenly on no man. Again, it's kind of fitting that Pastor Derek's been through this because, you know, the process here of, of getting a church to actually vote on him, you know, it's quite arduous. And that's because the church doesn't want to call him to pastor. Just, oh, hey, here's a guy. Let's bring him in. No, there's a lot of prayer and thought. You know, we as a church, we went through it. As a church, man, we, we looked at the pulpit committee, looked at over 70 men. And those 70 men, a lot of them, I mean, just quickly, you look at their resume and you see they're not qualified. It's not even, there's no reason to even pursue that. 
But there was a lot of them that were good men. You say, okay, well, what are the situations here? And you start digging into it further. Of those 70 men, in my recollection, the guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like there may be about 15 of them that were really high quality, high caliber, real possibilities for the church. But then you start digging further and find out that, okay, well, they're not going to fit because of this or because of that, or they, they've got a prior engagement, or they can't come for two years, or they're whatever. They're, they're thinking about going to the mission field, and they don't, I mean, just things come up. And, and he says, listen, don't, don't take it lightly. Uh, don't, don't lay hands on somebody quickly. And even in a church here, we want to be careful about how quickly we put people into leadership, service, in, in filling positions. I can't tell you how many times I've heard about some, some usher or somebody involved in the ministry stealing from the offering. You know, and, and that just shouldn't be. Now, we're all sinners. What I'm saying, there, there ought to be some, some we, got, we want to be diligent and, and, and be careful who we're putting into, you know, one church I heard of years ago, they, they, they caught a guy and then they found out that he was caught doing the same thing at his previous church. And they had him taking the offering. Just no diligence there, no considering. And we need to be careful, you know, especially in today's world, uh, working with the kids, you got to go through a background check. We aren't going to just put somebody, oh, you love kids? Yeah, well, let's put you in a children's ministry. No, we've got a responsibility to protect the kids. And so we got to be careful who we put down in the, in the children's ministries. And, and so we don't just bring somebody in and they've been in here for three weeks and, and they, they want to. No, they got to be in church a while. we got to know who they are. we got to start to have a good testimony before them and realize and see how they act and react and, and get to the place where we have that level of confidence in them to put them in the ministry. Amen? Amen. So he says here, you don't want to be part of another person's sin because you didn't do any due diligence to consider where they were at or whether they were worthy to hold the office. Tonight, we're going to be voting on several men to hold offices here in the church, most of those just a continuation of the positions they've held. But uh, we praise God, we've got some, some godly men that are willing to serve and that uh, fill these positions for us as a church. And uh, you know what? Sometimes the best laid plans of mice and men and all the due diligence and everything, the wisdom that you have, and sometimes things still happen because we're all sinners. And in that situation, you just deal with it biblically. Amen? Amen. We we'll just deal with it biblically. But he tells you here very clearly, he says, sins are going to be made evident. He said, some men's sins are seen beforehand. Some men's follow after. He says, but like the Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out, right? You reap what you sow. It's going to happen. So, as we conclude here, he says very clearly, but if any provide not for his own, he is worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith. So, beloved, every family has to face situations. Every family has to deal with people in different walks of life and different challenges. And in the family of God, we want to handle those biblically. We want to do it right. So as we've seen the family relationship that we have here in church, treating each other with the right kind of respect and love and, and an acknowledgement of their different, you know, their age or the youth, you know, the, the 
the, the attractiveness of young ladies, we've got to guard ourselves and protect ourselves, that we are acting proper and right with them, keeping that relationship right with family. And then the faithful responsibility to care for widows. That we want to care for them, like God said. If they meet those requirements, we want to be sure as a church that we're doing that. And then just the idea of the respect or the, those that, the fellowship of the church, how are you responding or respecting those that are leading and for what they do for the Lord and for the church. And those thoughts here on just maintaining those right relationships.